Welcome to Stigma Shakers Podcast. I am your host, Ali Hensley, author, speaker, and stigma shaker of the best kind. This podcast is all about shaking and breaking up taboo into digestible chunks, which we like to call our social smoothie. In this podcast, I will ask the difficult questions that can be hard to digest because everyone deserves a little balance in their mental health diet. And let's face it, folks, the only thing normal in this world is different. So my question to you, can we make truth the next biggest trend? Lissy Harper began a campaign after her husband, who she had married just four weeks earlier, was killed on duty in Berkshire in August 2019. Three people were convicted of manslaughter but cleared of murder. Lissy used her profound grief and determination for justice and campaigned for legal changes named Harper's Law. With the support of the UK Government and Police Federation, Harper's Law was passed which legislates the extension of mandatory life sentences to anyone who commits the manslaughter of an emergency worker and unlawful killing of those on duty. In recognition of her efforts in introducing Harper's Law, Lissy has been awarded an MBE in the King's New Year's Honours list. Now Lissy is moving forward with her life away from the public profile as a formidable campaigner. And notably... Lissy is an inspirational role model for anyone on how pain can be repurposed. Today I am joined by a very special friend of mine, a remarkable woman and someone I think that you'll gain a lot of hope and comfort from as we talk about the very difficult, stigmatised topic of grief. And we, of course, know that there are many types of grief out there, but this particular story has literally hit the headlines over the last few years. But I've had the pleasure of getting to know Lissy incredibly over the last while. And I think that her story is definitely one to listen to and hear and tell. So, Lissy, thank you so much for joining us today on Stigma Shakers podcast. How are you doing? How are you feeling? Ah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I'm okay. I'm good. Yeah, I'm excited to kind of just chat to you and, and talk about, you know, all the things that people find so uncomfortable talking about um, because, you know, it's it's real and, and you know, raw and, and that's what we should be kind of discussing, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Get those conversations out there to make mm. everything just a little bit more comfortable for both sides of the coin, I think. So I would like to sort of dive deep into the conversation off the bat Mm -hmm. if we may you married your childhood sweetheart Andrew is that correct yes yeah so we went to school together and college and yeah I just kind of grew as a couple and sort of grew up together I suppose um and then yeah we'd been together for 12 years when we got married um so yeah, it was kind of a long time coming, but um, yeah, it was it was a lovely day, and I've it would have been our four year wedding anniversary um, a couple of days ago. So yeah, that's kind of was a big milestone. 
I saw that on um, on Instagram. And as you have just said that, for some reason, I've just had like goosebumps go from head to toe. Mm. So you got married and then something incredibly tragic happened. Can you walk us through that day? Yeah, so um, four weeks after the wedding, um, it was just kind of a normal sort of day, I suppose. Um, Andrew, you know, obviously was a police officer and he worked shifts. He went off to work as normal. Um, And I... I spoke to him on the phone actually um I think it was something about my business um and I was looking to get ironically I was looking to get a website made and you know you've sort of come into that further down the line obviously um and so we were talking about that and he was kind of almost not giving me the green light because obviously I didn't need it but he was so supportive and so it was such a kind of pivotal conversation in a way um with him sort of going oh just you know just go for it you know you you can do it and and this is something you've always wanted to do so just go for it um which was really lovely um something I can kind of look back on now and it wasn't until a little while after he had died that I kind of relived that a little bit um but then you know he had to go he had to sort of go off back to work and so I I said goodbye and it was kind of like oh I'm not not sure what time I'm going to finish not sure how late it's going to be so of course I went to bed um, and then I think it was sometime in the very early hours I got that sort of knock on the door, um, very confused, you know, as to who it was because obviously, you know, he would have a key and just let himself in and and the next thing I know I'm sort of greeted by this police officer at the door um, giving me the worst news I could ever sort of have. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the first moment of like utter shock um just not the thing that you ever expect to hear you know it happens to other people but you never think it's going to happen to you that kind of cliche um yeah and yeah it's just kind of from there it was wow like everything is going to change when you heard the knock at the door did your mind go to this is going to be devastating or do you think that because Andrew had been in the force for a while and obviously it was his choice to be a policeman wonderful and my dad's was a policeman for 30 years he's retired and we've obviously spoken a lot about that but was this ever sort of like a reoccurring fear of yours that that knock would one day come or is that something you sort of resigned yourself we got married, we got our life ahead of us. Yeah, I mean, no, actually, I, I never thought that sort of thing. I think you just, you become so comfortable in yourself and in your life and you just don't think, I mean, it doesn't, thankfully, it doesn't happen kind of that often. It does, but it, you know, it's, it is still quite unlikely. Um, and yeah, I mean, I would, you know, I would say sort of, you know, be safe and, and we talked about other areas in the police that he could have gone into, like firearms and things like that. And I remember having conversations about, oh, isn't that, you know, going to be more dangerous? And, you know, obviously he he had um, joined a new team um, and he was doing different things. But it was a, a fairly normal sort of um, job that he went, you know, he's, he'd been to that sort of thing before. Um, so actually, no, I, I really didn't. 
it just became normal. You know, he'd be out at, in the middle of the night doing his job. And we can't live in traumas that haven't happened yet. We can't live in the, the future maybes or what ifs because we wouldn't, <laughs> we just wouldn't live that way. We would be terrified of life constantly. So the, the police knocked at the door and they told you that Andrew had been killed on duty. How much information did they share with you at that point? Or was information even irrelevant at that point when you were just faced with such shock? Um, there wasn't a huge amount of information. Um, it's funny, actually, because I, I look back on it and I think, how did I not know? You know, you see in kind of the movies and stuff when, you know, there's a policeman at the door or, you know, you know, if someone's in the, in the military or, or whatever, that's kind of supposed to be a sign, isn't it? Like something bad's happened. But I just didn't think that. You know, I welcomed this, you know, gentleman into my house in the middle of the night and it just wasn't my first thought. So, which is why I was so shocked. Um, and he kind of sat me down and, you know, um, he said three words to me that have never felt so alien. And that was, Andrew has died. And that was... God, it, you know, what, what? I, I don't, didn't understand. I couldn't get my head around it. Um, and he was, you know, he was really lovely. Um, and he was really consoling and I just didn't get it. Um, so I think, yeah, he, he said that to me. And then it was a little while later, he said something like, oh, and, you know, 10 people have been taken into custody or something. And I was like, what do you mean? I was so sure it was an accident, um, you know, and he'd been driving home or something. It didn't occur to me that actually there was more to it than that. Um, but yeah, that was just kind of the start of this very surreal um, sort of time for me where I was just in total shock. Mm, total numbness. And they talk about obviously yeah. the five stages of grief. Yeah. So much. We know about the five stages of grief, but theory versus living mm. are, are two very different ways to approach. And obviously, as you know, your beautiful bio says that you went on to campaign, but following that was obviously the court case that had been made very public and you were grieving and living in the public eye at that point. How were you behind closed doors? I remember the first couple of weeks, um, I, I was at my parents' house and I was just a mess. You know, I didn't, I didn't have my phone with me. I didn't want it. I didn't watch TV, didn't listen to the radio. I was so closed off from everything um, that I didn't really know what was going on. Um, you know, thankfully, I had this amazing support network in my family. Um, and they just kind of cocooned me, I suppose, um, and protected me from everything that was going on. Because I didn't want to know, actually, at that point, I didn't care. You know, the worst thing had happened, any of the details was totally irrelevant to me um, for a good couple of weeks. And then it wasn't till, you know, I started to kind of emerge from that initial shock that I kind of craved a little bit more information and I spoke to um, some of the people who were you know in charge of the case and um, and I kind of slowly started to get a little sort of being drip fed little bits of informa information um, and I think that 
it slowly started to build my like not anger well yeah anger I suppose um partly um but also just kind of determination to make sure that what was happening was you know right and you know then I started to go to you know the court and everything um and I think you do like at first you think yeah I don't want to know any of the details I don't it doesn't matter to me but it does matter and it will matter further down the line so I think you it's important actually to be involved in that um obviously some people are going to find that they can't they can't do that and that's fine but I think if you do then you need to speak up and and sort of have an involvement they do say they do say Brené Brown in fact says that one of the stages of grief (laughs) you've got to love Brené is reasoning how we need to find Mm -hmm. a reason in such trauma and adversity and I would say that it must have been quite a whirlwind you must have been I'm actually I'm surmising this might be incorrect please tell me but caught up in this whirlwind of this the court case of justice or injustice as we saw or I believe and I think a lot of the public would believe Mm. that how did you process the verdict and tell us about that verdict I think yeah I think I mean first of all the court cases were um kind of right around the sort of covid time so uh, you know there was a first court case that began and had to be cancelled so that was a bit of a blow um so you kind of build yourself up to to get to this point and then it's all pushed back um we then started for case number two um, and I followed that a lot more closely um, and I was so sure actually that it was going to be a guilty verdict. I think everybody I really was. was. I think we all yeah. were. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so st- sitting there in the court and, in, you know, the, the jury were there and, you know, you kind of, you, you watch them, that you, you kind of, you monitor them and you you see their habits and how interested they seem and how you know switched on they seem I suppose um and you think no these people are going to make the right decision so for somebody to stand up and and come back with a, a not guilty of murder verdict was I mean I was just mind blown um sitting in my seat that was the initial first feeling of no this isn't right um and something needs to be done about it. So that was kind of like a, like, smack me in the face moment, you know, what the hell is going on? Well, anger, um, yeah. anger can be a really productive emotion. A lot of people would say, obviously, anger is a mm. negative emotion. But I think in the context of maybe feeling, anger can make us feel stronger in a certain way and more like I have to do something with this anger and this purpose. And I think that's obviously what you did when the verdict was delivered and mm-hmm. you then campaigned for Harper's Law. And Lissy had an amazing documentary with Sir, um, Sir Trevor MacDonald, which was on ITV, and I encourage people to go and watch that for the finer details of this case and of, of the tragedy that happened. You were fueled to change the law with this grief, what is that law? Just for people who might not necessarily know Harper's Law. 
So Harper's Law has basically been designed um, so that anybody who's found guilty of um, causing the death of a um, an emergency services worker, frontline worker, um, will receive a certain um, sentence you know, in prison. Um, and, you know, a lot of people along the way sort of said, oh, yeah, you know, but why don't you look at um, sentencing guidelines and things like that? And and that was part of the problem that, um, you know, the judges, they're not given enough leeway to sort of, you know, give these these higher sentences. So a lot of the time, you know, especially in Andrew's situation, um, they'll get a, a meagre amount of years, which then ends up being a lot lower than what they've been sentenced anyway. Um, which is just, yeah, so wrong. But yeah, basically Harper's Law is going gonna, is gonna to change that. The process of grief publicly, and not everybody is going to be obviously grieving publicly. Did that delay the grieving process for you or were you walking side by side with it in terms of processing what happened? Um, I think at first, it all being in the public eye was so like overwhelming. Um, you know, it was everywhere, literally everywhere. Um, and I didn't want to look at any of the papers or, you know, I couldn't even go on my phone without without seeing it. Um, and of course, because our, our wedding wasn't that long before, our wedding pictures were just, you know, plastered across the internet. Um, so it was... Yeah, it was a lot. It was hard. Um, I don't think it helped at all. Um, the only thing it did help with, of course, was my campaign. Um, and I had so much support. So I got to look at that in a positive way as well, because it allowed all of these people to kind of reach me um, and for, then for me to reach them. Um, and I don't know if I could have done it without that sort of level of support. So yeah, I suppose it's kind of a double double-edged sword. It's yeah, it, you need that privacy, you need that kind of um space to be able to grieve properly, which you know, even now I don't even know if I've kind of had fully. You said grieve properly. Is that something that mm-hmm. Is sort of like maybe a societal expectation. What what is grieving properly? What is the best practice way to grieve, or to debunk the fact that there isn't a proper way at all? Mm. There's absolutely not a proper way to grieve. I don't think um, there's no guidebook. There's no right and wrong way. Um, and I think a lot of people, you know, especially in the media and and in sort of articles and things, they say about you know the five stages of grief and and whatever um any stages and and yeah I suppose there are stages of grief if if you want to put it like that but they're definitely not in an order and you might experience anger at the beginning and then it might go and then it might come back um and I think we're so you know set on like oh am I doing this right you know am I is this wrong should I be feeling this way should I should I be doing this um which I've experienced as well but it's just not true and I think we put so much pressure on ourselves to do the right thing and be the right way and you know what about this person that you know they're supposed to be grieving but they're doing amazingly and and it's just not real grief comparison you can't put that sort of pressure on yourself yeah and it's and it's interesting what you say again about am I doing it the right way (laughs) I mean we have we're so um and we've talked about this 
over like coffee dates and, and things. And we've talked about how there is this expectation of almost like there's a politeness with the way that we approach difficulty. And something that we've discussed is how people approach your grief, I think, as well. And tell me a little bit about, and I don't want to, I always think that sometimes any misunderstanding is an opportunity for learning and empathizing. But tell Mm -hmm. me about things that, frankly, just have not been helpful to your process, where people are just not necessarily reacting or engaging the way that you'd really need them to well (laughs) I think it seems to me after speaking to a lot of people in similar situation it's very common um to find yourself in you know the worst possible time of your life and you kind of have this these expectations of especially your friends your closest friends um and even family um that they're going to support you they're going to behave a certain way whatever And that just isn't always the case, sadly. Um, I think people find it really hard sometimes to talk to you, um, to reach out or even to be supportive. And I think it's sadly really common that we end up losing friends. Um, You know, I've I've lost various friends over the years for different reasons. But, you know, some of that is just about not feeling comfortable with with talking to somebody like me who's who's grieving. which I think is a shame because there is no right thing to say. There are there are wrong things to say, I suppose. What are those wrong things? What's been the what's been the the comments that you've had to go really? Well, you know, there's always the, there's the common ones, isn't there? Like, oh, you'll find somebody, you know. And in those early days, that's not what you want to hear. You know, you'll 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 be all right. Or, you know, are you feeling better now? You know, it's not an illness. You know, that's not the right thing to say. And another thing, which isn't necessarily um, the same, but one thing that really gets to me is when people refer to my, like, for example, my late husband as an ex-husband or, you know, oh, your ex. That's not right. And we should not do that. Just before we jumped on this call, I had this moment of, like, I actually didn't, I don't, know many I don't actually know many people who have lost their husbands because I think also our age group is the sequence Mm -hmm. is sort of a little Mm -hmm. out in that way and I thought oh yeah late husband your I don't know for not former husband your late husband right that's but as you said it's really interesting when Mm -hmm. people put on the term x this was not a choice breakup this wasn't Mm -hmm. a this wasn't a breakup yeah. this was a tragic ending yeah yeah and I think you know obviously we've got to be a little bit you know kind of understanding because it's not easy and there aren't always the right words and and you know there aren't always a lot of words that people are given to kind of to use in this situation and sometimes it is genuinely a mistake but I think people can sympathize with you sometimes um in relating for example, divorce and grief. And that's very, very different. And obviously, both trauma and have their own set of, you know, difficulties and are both shit, but um, very different. And yeah, so it's things like that, I think, that that some people just don't, and just insensitivity um, 
generally, you know, just, I don't know. There are, lo- there are a lot of things that, especially at the beginning, you might be a bit more sensitive to. I mean, nowadays, I, you know, you kind of heard it all and, and you get used to it. But I think it, when people are really struggling in the early days, it's just important to be sensitive, um, you know, not start sort of bitching about what your partner's doing or, or whatever, you know, it's just about being there for them. And, uh, you know, I've had conversations with various people and, and obviously yourself about grief and how, I mean, we, we sort of treat the grieving sort of like there's a, what's the word I'm looking for? We sort of stray away because it's unknown territory. And as you said, people don't know what to say, but it's mm-hmm. almost it's almost better saying, like, I actually just don't know what to say. But at least it's mm-hmm. acknowledging it. It's not kind of gaslighting your grief or minimising your grief. Or, you know, I think we do that with situations that we're so far distanced from of understanding that it's easier just to slope over here, give an apologetic, I'm so mm-hmm. sorry for your loss, and we'll just move on and let the grieving person mm-hmm. sit quietly and overcome it. Mm-hmm. And I think, as you say, and also there was a, I don't know if you um, have heard this or something similar. The first six months are obviously horrific coming to terms with loss. The, actually, probably the first six days, first six minutes, the hot, like immediate, immediate loss. Mm-hmm. But it can kind of go, there's a lot of rallying that happens early on, as you say, a lot of support. And then over time, that support drops off. And it's almost like the second stage is mm-hmm. when that goes and like, oh, now I really am alone. Because everyone thinks you're better at that point. Does that, has, does that sort of resonate with yeah. you in any way? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think we all think or we're all told that, you know, the first year or so, um, or like you say, the first six months are the hardest. And that's actually not not always true. Um, you know, the second year, even the third, actually, I'd maybe say, is probably the hardest. You know, those people have kind of filtered away. And obviously, you've still got, you know, the people who are really there for you. Um, and, you know, you're kind of biggest support um but it's different it's definitely different I think people are because you look the same and you look like you know oh they look like they're doing really well um so they must be but it's not always the case is it I think we forget to ask how how we're really doing and I think they stop talking about you know the person you've lost as much um and the anniversaries are, you know, even more kind of brutal because that time is is moving on without them. And you're having to move on as well, move on, um, move forward, whatever. Um, but, but, but are you, you know, are you moving on or are you kind of filling the space around the gap that's forever going to be there? I think that's probably more realistic. Um you know, and we can and we can do all kinds of amazing things, and we can fill our time, and we could, you know, you know, speaking from experience, we can do all of the stuff. Um, busy, you know, we can say yes to everything, yes. but that's yeah. yes, we can be busy, but busy isn't necessarily fixed, um, and I don't think we can expect to fix it. I think it's just something we have to endure, and something we have to kind of learn to live with coexist with um yeah so yeah it it kind of it get I think and I think that's one uh, another thing that people say a lot to you um it'll get easier 
and it will it will get easier um but it won't go it won't disappear it won't just sort of become fine we're so good at fine we're so good at busy you know how are you feeling I'm fine mm. how are you feeling I'm busy oh yeah you know it's we've all we've all sort of do that sort of move <laughs> away but it's quite it's quite interesting how we how polite mm. we can be when I spoke to a friend today she's she said ah oh, you know moving on is really quite quite scary in the sense of the expectation of not even an expectation, your own expectation of, you know, being forever a widow. And especially when you're young and you're, you know, Mm -hmm. you have your life, I'm doing air quotes with my hand, your life in front of you. (laughs) How have you approached the concept of moving on into another relationship? Are you in a relationship now? So I am actually. Um, Yeah. And and it's funny you say that because I was thinking just before we came on here how, um, you know, like how uh, Queen Victoria kind of, w- w- with her grief, she she was all in black and, you know, she was veiled in her grief, like literally. And I feel like that is the expectation sometimes, or it feels like it is, like we're expected to wear black for the rest of our lives and just kind of sit and and mourn. And although, you know, inside there is a sense of that um it's it's not sustainable to expect a person or and it's not fair mm. even to expect a person to be like that so yeah I've really struggled with that kind of realization that I have to find a new kind of version of my life and and for me that does involve another person um you know as human beings we're kind of programmed to to be with another person and that's that's right that's the right thing for us um and although some people you know resign themselves to being alone forever that's not you know that's not the case for me is there this element of or have people maybe people I say people society put a guilt on there or a judgment on there that you know I can't believe that someone who lost their husband in such a tragic way or a- anybody who lost that. Why wouldn't you go through to the next phase of that and go, I do have, I do have desires. I do have needs and it's not a portrayal and it's not damning the legacy mm-hmm. of your late husband. But how have you reconciled that in the sense of, do people know? Is this something that you have hidden deliberately or is it something you would just wish to hold private for now what's that been like I I think that there's always been that expectation or it it at least feels like there's an expectation to sort of be this this figure this kind of you know the grieving widow or you know the wife um PC Harper's wife you know I'm always referred to that in the media and things um and and on one hand, I think, yeah, I've kind of shielded my my private life because I've, you know, not been given that choice a lot of the time, um, just to give myself space to, you know, figure out who I am now because I'm a very different person. Um, I think you do become a different person when you go through something like this. You kind of grow out of the person that you were before because you have no choice. Um, so, yeah, I've, you know, I've kind of decided in some ways to keep my private life private and when I say private I mean 
between my circle of of close friends and family and and people that I see all the time. Um, but you know, I think it's important to to express that it's okay to you know to live. It's no, it is okay to live, and it is okay to have a desire. And it's um, I think a lot of people would find themselves on the precipice of that kind of confusion or again like that kind of guilt or say that say you were someone was listening today and let's hope that lots of people are listening today those who have feel like they're ready to move on but they're grappling with that process of do I deserve this what will people think is it right to feel terrified like speak to speak to those sort of feelings if you can it's normal to feel scared um and to wonder if you're doing the right thing um, and definitely normal to, to wonder if you deserve it, which, you know, everyone does deserve to be happy. But it is a common feeling of should I, you know, do I deserve to be happy again? Um, is it the right thing? Am I betraying the person that, you know, I love who isn't here? And I think probably most of the people who, who sadly aren't with us would want their loved ones to, to find happiness again. Um, but it's also important to know that, you know, there's no, there's no guidebook. There's no like right or wrong time, um, whatever anyone else says. And, you know, I'm part of various different kind of groups and um, widowed and young and, and places like that. And there is like this common, like, oh, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. Um, and when is the right sort of time frame? And there isn't one, like there just isn't one. And, and there's always going to be people who are like, oh, wow, you moved on fast or, oh, you're still alone or, or whatever. Everyone's going to have these opinions and that's all they are, their opinions, um, which, you know, even myself have, have had to sort of come to terms with that. Um, but, you know, if, if you feel, yeah, if you feel ready, then that's all that matters. I was going to say, you have to live, you have to live with the reality for the rest of your life of what happened. But as you say, you don't need to be mm-hmm. in mourning <clears throat> to not love Andrew. You'll always love Andrew. And even my mum said this morning, mm-hmm. she's like, Andrew would want Lissy to be happy. And I'm like, she, he would. Uh-huh. I know. And that's, that's generally like the, yeah. it's not dishonouring. It's not dishonouring the people we love by being happy, smiling, hearing ourselves laugh and being intimate again emotionally intimate physically intimate with another person I don't know how was what was that like sort of moving through your relationship going I'm going to choose this person now it's it's definitely a journey you do get to the point where you have to allow yourself that you know and you have to kind of quieten the voices um you know and all of the noise externally and and say what what is right for me now um and what would Andrew want? And I think if, you know, if there are going to be people who have a problem with whatever you're doing, they have a problem with that, then how much can they genuinely care about you? Because if they don't want you to be happy, then I think that probably says more than anything else, doesn't it? Probably more about them. That's their own judgment. Yeah, and you can't listen to that. You know, you just have to do what's best for you. Mm. What was it like going on your first date with your new partner? It, it was strange. It was very strange. Um, and I don't mean that in a, in a bad way. I mean, it, 
like I said before, it's learning to be this new version of yourself and who, and actually finding out who you are, you know, who, who I am without Andrew, because I'd been with him forever. Um, and, you know, because we grew up together, we'd kind of sort of grown, you know, not, yeah, I don't know, just kind of at the same speed. And we were, I was half of a, a couple. Um, and you have to almost learn to be the person that you want to be moving forward. Um, and that's, you know, definitely going to be an ongoing sort of journey for me. Um, but it's a good one as well, because you get to, you know, figure, really figure out like who you are and who you want to be with this, this new person. Um, and that can be good too, because you can find this this happiness as well. It's not going to be the same. And it's not going to be better or worse. It's just going to be different, um, you know. And that's been really important for me to find that again. I'm pleased that you were open to love again, and with this this man that I hope is making you incredibly happy. Something that I think would be quite interesting to know is what he does for a living or what area he is professionally in contrast Mm -hmm. to maybe what Andrew did he is also in the emergency services so you know that's a yeah yeah and I think that's partly just how it's happened and you know it, it probably is partly because people who are in that sort of a job are compassionate and and thoughtful and caring I suppose which maybe that's something that I'm drawn to um maybe that's something that I work well with is there is there any fear there because of maybe the similarity you know a lot of people have asked me that actually um or not asked me that but that some people have mentioned that to other people um and have been surprised but no no I think you know you could that you could be in in danger or you could um, get hurt in any situation. You can't think like that, I don't think, because then you're you're in fear of living. um, And that's just just not right. Um, So no, actually, I, I can understand why people might think that, you know, oh, why would you put yourself through that sort of situation again? But, you know, it's just, it's life. That's what it is. It's just living life. And that's what I'm doing. You could say that to people who are in these jobs. But, you know, why, why would you want to put yourself in danger? But it's important, important work. This has been a really lovely chat, Lissy. I really am grateful for your honesty today and your openness today. And I think that grief is something that still remains such an enigma. If you could give... Mm-hmm listeners a piece of advice about how we can better destigmatize and handle grief as the person going through it and or the person around the person grieving what would that be I think the problem we have kind of as a society is that we find it so uncomfortable talking about death you know and with with death comes grief um and I, and I don't know why that is, um, probably because we're scared about our own death um, and people around us. But, you know, it, 
it's probably the biggest part of life um, and one of the most natural things and it is hard to talk about but it's important to talk about as well because you know you may not be going through it now but but somebody you love might be and, and you might be one day and so it might be uncomfortable um you know and if you've got a friend who's going through something like that you know they don't, they don't care really what it is that you're saying so much as just that you're there um and just that you're listening i think that's probably the most powerful thing we can do we can just listen um you don't have to say the right thing um you just have to be there for somebody who's going through probably the worst time in their lives and to the people who are going through that god you know it is a hell of a thing um but it can make you stronger which doesn't seem like you know the biggest sort of um thing to say you know at the time when you're going through it but it the resilience that you will build will mean that you can get through anything um and you, and you will find that you reach a point where you you do find little bits of happiness again and you're absolutely right death is a very confronting absolute but natural part of life and whilst we don't have to go around every day I guess thinking about our sort of immortality or mortality I think it's I think it isn't is interesting and almost helpful if we even did our own little self-inquiry around that word Mm -hmm. and what it how it sits with us before we then go into the world and share our opinions like I think it's important just to do a little bit of self-inquiry not all the time because life Mm. should be joyful and happy but Mm -hmm. I think to have a bit of balance is is everything here at the stigma shakers podcast our aim is to shake up and blend unique social smoothies for our listeners to digest around the topics of stigma and taboos now that we're coming to the end of our discussion Lissy, what ingredients would you want to have in your social smoothie to improve people's outlook mental health and judgments in life um i think just openness um kindness compassion obviously um and just truth I think you know is important yes truth truth I love that I love that does your smoothie have a name oh don't know (laughs) don't know I was gonna say the truth twister or the truth tutti mm. fruity or yeah tropical truth perfect oh this is gonna be such a great menu for this season of the stigma shakers <laughs> podcast lissy if people do want yeah. to find you and reach out to you how can they find you i am lissy harper on instagram and lissy has a really great business by the way she's an incredible artist and your business is called the print b and I encourage mm-hmm. everyone to go and check out Lissy's amazing flair and talent with art. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Lissy. That was obviously a very in-depth but important chat. And I'm really grateful, really grateful for you putting your heart on your sleeve. Oh, no, thank you for having me. It was lovely to talk to you, as always. As always. Till next time. Thank you, everybody. I was going to do the Jerry Springer. Take care of yourselves and each other. But I won't. Just, just be nice to people. Just be kind. Okay. <laughs>